If you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to take a brief pause this morning from uh, our series on Joshua, which we have been going through, and briefly look at a portion of the letter of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the Philippians. And I selected these verses, in particular verses 4 to 9 of that fourth chapter, because there's many encouragements for us there, and many admonitions as well. Uh, We're starting out once again a new year, and I trust that these will be helpful for us. Um, And many sermons could be preached from these passages, so, uh, um, but I hope you you will, uh, I whet your appetite, as it were, for some of the topics that he highlights. Perhaps in the start of a new year, you once again take spiritual inventory, you look at your life, and uh, you're ready again to adjust, and the apostle here addresses a few things to reflect on, maybe to confess or to look at, uh, look back or to look ahead as well, and with God's help, apply it to our lives. So let us read, starting in verse 1 from Philippians 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eutychus and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Let us pray as we go into the word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me bring the word, Father, that you would be with your spirit amongst us, Lord, that you would apply the word, um, frail as I am, Lord, that you would apply the word and its truths in it. Would you convict us? Would you help us? Would you uh, give us uh, rejoicing in your word, your promises, and all that we have in our great Savior? In his name we pray. Amen. So the apostle now is uh, uh, at the end of his short letter to the Philippians. uh, And he wrote that letter not from ease and comfort. He wrote that letter from prison. Um, And in that letter we get many glimpses of what is on the mind of the apostle. What is most important to him. Often when we are in distress or in trouble, uh, we get challenged and the depth of our faith gets tested. And the strength of our beliefs, or the reality of it, gets revealed to us. Well, in this letter, and as is in his other prison letters, we get a glimpse into the heart of, of this man, who had been transformed by the Savior from a man who persecuted Christ and his church 
to the one who is now willing to die for him. And you can see that in his writings. He had set his mind on Christ and so lived and died bearing much fruit in his life. At the heart of it all was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And his pen was always pointing in that direction. The themes in this letter includes prayer, joy in the Lord, despite difficulties that come our way. Once again, he's warning about false teachers. His teaching on the deity of Christ, the advancement of the gospel, his personal testimonies of what God has done in his life. And um, there's also much thankfulness in this epistle. Thankfulness to others, thankfulness to the Lord. Uh, there's much little or not as much rebuke in this letter than has been in the other ones. He has to rectify a little bit less than in the other ones. And he was in a, a man of overflowing thankfulness to God and to men in whom the Lord had worked. In the first verse, four verses of this chapter, you will see the love that he expresses to believers. And his, they were, he said, his joy and his crown. And they were the fruit of his labor. There in that Roman cell, unpleasant as it was, he was full of joy when he thinks about these believers. He writes to them, he prays for them, and he prays for these people who are just like him, plucked out of the fire by the Lord Jesus and transformed by the gospel. They were, he says, you're my joy and my crown. The apostle, of course, had little personal possessions there in that jail, but when he thought of them, he thought of that rich, beautiful crown of diamonds and gold and precious stones that would, against the backdrop of, of, of the blackness of the fallen race, these saints were redeemed by the blood of Christ. In verse 2, he mentions two ladies, Eutychus and Syntyche, to be at peace with one another. Apparently, there was some conflict between them two. We don't know what it was. But their names are written for us 2,000 years to, to, to read. And uh, the, admonis, the apostle admonishes them to be uh, of the same mind. In verse 3, he writes to others to help these ladies who had been laborers of some type in the gospel to come to that reconciliation and peace with one another. He mentions that these are saved ladies whose names are in that great book of life. They are bought by Christ's blood. He appeals to their union with Christ. He brought them who had, who had bought them by his own blood. He reminds them, and he reminds us, that where our citizen really, citizenship really is. And when, with that in mind, believer, perhaps it's a good time to think this morning, if you're in conflict with a fellow believer, to remember our great head, the Lord Jesus, who had made peace between God and us through his death and work on the cross. What a great reminder to seek peace with those we are in conflict with and to quell the quarrels that we have, especially in light of the Lord's Supper. And in verse 4, he resumes his instructions from a particular situation to the people in the church, to all believers and in all ages. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he had written that before in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brother, 
brothers, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And this epistle is very much marked by joy. Sometimes it's called the epistle of joy. And his command to be joyful in the Lord. The root of it was, of course, the great salvation that had been given to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he echoes the words of Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorned herself with her jewels. There was much to be troubled about in the church. Worries, there was persecution, there was harassments, there was deaths, there was torture, and just the general problems that everyone has in life. And the Apostle Paul was not unfamiliar with them. In 2 Corinthians 11, he reminds the believers of what he had gone through. He said, in labors more abundant, in stripes or whiplashes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one. So five times he got 39 whiplashes. Thrice, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And beside all that, those things are without, that which becometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So he knew a great deal of suffering in many different ways. His instructions was not a cheap, well, cheer up, think positive, it will go away, and pray about it, you know, in a light matter. He did not think lightly about any of these problems, these dangers, these discouragements that are at hand and that come our way perhaps in this year perhaps even now but it was a recipe it was a medicine to be applied for in difficult times and it had lightened his burdens many a times and his hardship and he knew it would help others as well note his instruction to rejoice is repeated twice they were to rejoice always, meaning all the time, perpetually. It was to be the mark of believers, and it was the mark of all the apostles. If you look at their life, they were a rejoicing bunch of fellows. They had that unwavering confidence in the God of the gospel. And all that they had in the good news of the gospel. The Philippians themselves were threatened from different sides, and Paul instructs them into the active duty, practice, and habit of rejoicing in the Lord. Our circumstances might greatly change in 2023. It could be sickness, family situations, it could be death of someone near, it could be sudden or 
something slow. It could be financial distresses. Or it could be a very good year. It could be health and restoration, prosperity, all kinds of things that the Lord blesses with us daily. Whatever it is, we need to be rejoicing in the Lord always. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And not just here, of course, in this letter. It is throughout the word of God. It is particularly in the Psalms. Paul had done this when he was in jail and he had stirred up others to do the same thing. In Acts 16, and you can look that up at home, it records how Paul and Silas had been picked up, they had been beaten, and they, it said they had been given many stripes. Maybe it's that, that, 39, that 39 stripes he spoke about earlier. They had been thrown in jail. What are they doing there? That night, you imagine your back is open, 39 stripes. What are they doing there? It says they are singing praises to God and singing to him in such a way that the other prisoners could hear them. He knew the joy of the Lord was his strength. The unchanging, everlasting God was his refuge. It wasn't cheap advice that he had no clue about himself. Christ had redeemed him and will work all things out for the believer's good. That's what he wrote. That's what he knew. That's the promise of the word of God. And they held fast to that promise of the Savior that I will never leave you or forsake you. This morning we sung, you know, our friends may forsake us, but there is one that will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, in contrast, are the, the fickle joys of this world, right? How meager, how skinny, how out of place, often vain and temporal. And in the end, disappointing. The world will rejoice in the gifts of God. Creation, family, health, wealth, jobs, all kinds of things. But they don't seek to be satisfied in the Lord, in the fountain of all those gifts. They ignore, reject, and hate him even. And we're also susceptible to that, where we rejoice much more in the things that he has given us, all the good things, and he does give us those, but we place those over himself, and thus making ourselves idols out of his gifts. How steadfast should be the believer's joy, and how often ought to we Ought we to remind one another, ourselves, our family, lest we turn our eyes away from the Lord <clears throat> and overtaken with fear, with doubt, with worry that paralyzes our walk and our witness? John Gill writes this, For there is always a cause and a matter for rejoicing in Christ, even in difficult afflictions, distress, and persecution, since he always is the same. His grace is always sufficient. His blood has a continual virtue in it. That's a precious promise, isn't it? And always speaks of peace and pardon. His righteousness is an everlasting one. And so is his salvation. Such is his love. Are you like this this morning? Is Christ the ground of your unstakable joy? 
and unbridled optimism because you know you, your everlasting end. You know your citizenship is in heaven and not here. Or, as the Apostle Paul speaks, is your joy fragile? Is it weak? Are you known in your family? Maybe you should ask people or fellow believers. Such a person that is marked by this distinctiveness in your life. And what is it that makes your joy decrease to go down? And if you don't have that type of joy, then pray. Ask the Lord why that is so. To seek once again to have the right focus. That we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 9712, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence. In his presence there is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Rejoice forevermore, brothers and sisters. If you don't rejoice, you will likely fill it up with murmuring or complaining. Unthankfulness, which leads to sin. Remember the, the walk of the Israelites. Cultivate a cheerful disposition. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18, For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and we just read what he all went through, our light affliction is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in 2023, seek to be joyful in the Lord. It will lighten many a burden. And it is a command. In verse 5 he writes, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation here could be translated fairly broadly, meaning indicating meekness, your patience, your gentleness, mercifulness amongst the people. Let your Christian walk be one of meekness or yieldedness, as the word in the Greek is rooted let your light so shine as you walk in this dark world. Titus 3 verse 2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be not brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Also, in the light of the injuries, injustices that you may receive from the world, or that they may bring upon you, to be meek under persecution, having a readiness to forgive wrongs done to you not clinging to our own rights to the maximum, but in love to give up things for the sake of others and for the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse, 29, verse 19, not to avenge ourselves, but to wait on the Lord, for he repay in due time. We are servants of Christ. We are to be willing to give up our rights for the sake of peace, 
when it comes to matter that doesn't have anything to do with the worship or the doctrines of, of God, of course. But elsewhere, we may at times have to yield our rights for the sake of peace, for the sake of our brothers or sisters, and for the sake of the gospel. In the end, he writes, the Lord is at hand. So <clears throat> he says, well, you aim to live this way. Let the nearness of God comfort you. I think that um, R.C. Sproul used to use a term a lot. He says, we live quorum Deo, a Latin term which he often used. We're living in the sight of God. To live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence and under his gaze, under his authority, for his glory. With, uh, with that understanding that whatever and whenever, uh, whatever we are doing, we are under the gaze and the watchful eye of God. He is omnipresent. He is the God who has his eye on us. So, so Paul reminds us to live in, in that way, with God's nearness in mind. All things done to us in a wrong way will one day be vindicated and will be made right. And if you think about that, the nearness of God on us, it helps us when we are tempted or when we are tempted to wander away, that he is near. The sin that we are wanting to commit, what a, a great way to, to remind yourself how his, he watches this. We're doing it in his face, as it were. And how we need to pray the prayer of the Lord Jesus, Lord, keep us from temptation, lest we dishonor his holy name. And with God's nearness in mind, the apostle reminds, reminds us in verse 6 about worry, prayer, and thanksgiving. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything, be, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. The first phrase, to be careful for nothing, he's speaking here about the specific concern of worry, anxiety, excess concern. There are many things that we should care about, of course. Scripture speaks about that. Christians should care about their walk, instructions to how to run a family, the life in the church, the fight against sin, all those things we need to exercise a great deal of carefulness about. And it would be a sin if we, if we didn't. The apostle <clears throat> elsewhere writes about making sure your calling and your election, sure, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what he speaks about here, after having done all our due diligence on the matters that the word of God has revealed to us, we trust it all to a sovereign God. We must avoid and let our mind wander into anxious worry so that we start to distrust God who has saved us and redeemed us from our sin. It echoes the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 to 30. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat <clears throat> and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, or worry, 
can add one cubit to his stature. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, for they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon, Solomon in all his glory was not arranged like one of these. Wherefore, if, doth, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? The apostle knows that we are weak, that we are prone to worry, and we need to be reminded often of this fact, often about all those cares and worries that come our mind to bring it to him. And the apostle Peter instructs us as well. He said, humble, humble ourselves or yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting your cares from you to him, to roll that burden from you to him. <clears throat> we seek his help, like children unburdening, unburdening their troubles to their parents, their fathers, Burdens of all types and stripes that we face. Nothing is too small or too big. And the Lord is the Lord Jesus that said, Not a hair of your head will perish without his will. He cares for us. The God of heaven and earth listen to our prayers. When we succumb to worry, fretting, or fearful and fearful thoughts, and that dominates our thinking, we show a lack of faith and, and trust in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who predestinated us from all eternity to be accepted in his Son. It dishonors God. It weakens our own heart, our faith and witness, and it weakens, it shows a bad example to believers around us. You recall the life of Jacob at one point. He was so discouraged and he said, all things are against me. I'm going to go to the grave like this. That's what he said. He was living in utter discouragement for quite a while. Not realizing that God at that very moment was preparing a wonderful deliverance for him and for his family that we still read about and treasure and build up our faith in. And that much good was coming his way. At that moment, he had forgotten the promises. He did not have the faith to see us, see it. Hebrews, Paul writes, he said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How is that with you this morning? How is your prayer life? Paul says, don't worry, pray to make our request known to God, to unload our burdens, our perplexities, that situation that you see no way out, that sin that so easily besets us, bring it before him. To leave it there, trusting that whatsoever will be the answer, it will be good for us. How easy it is to wait sometimes to wait until the end, until we're in a tight spot to really unburden our loads. 
rather than to seek him daily in prayer, in fellowship, in worship, in his word. Prayers of all types we can bring. Seeking forgiveness, asking for wisdom, asking for a greater measure of his Holy Spirit, interceding for others. How are you doing that? Are you interceding for others? Those that are sick, those that are suffering persecution, prayer for food. Give us this day our daily bread and work. Prayers for king and for country. Nothing is too small or too great for God. No problem is too hard and situation too perplexing for him. The king, the king of the universe, the king of all eternity, whom we sung about this morning, that opening song, that's it's a great song about, about God. He bids us to come before his throne. Why would you not? And through the blood of Christ, we have access as his children. Well, Paul, after <clears throat> Paul tells us to pray, to intercede for others, and do this with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for everything that we have received from his hand. Indeed, his mercies are anew every morning. His faithfulness is great towards us. When we come to the throne of grace, we ought to consider and to bring bundles and stacks full of thanks. Are you a thankful person this morning? Are you keenly aware of the mercy, the patience, and the kindness that God has shown you? Are you a fountain of overflowing gratitude, whatever your circumstance is? Our level of thankfulness show us much about where we are spiritually, isn't it? Similarly, Paul writes to the, to the Thessalonians, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Psalm 103, David's such a great psalm, beautifully written, he considered he, his God, and he rejoiced in his God. What did he say? He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We, we quickly forget. Who forgiven all thine disease, iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. He considered his blessings with a thankful heart and thought often of all that the Lord had done for him. One commentator writes, Thankfulness is the mother and nurse of restfulness. Neglected praises sour into unquiet forebodings. In this new year, consider the goodness, the goodness of the Lord to you. Recall his blessing and be thankful. Maybe you know believers that are particularly well disciplined in this. You'll notice that they'll rarely complain or fret. And I'm always convicted by my own lack of it when I'm around such people. It's convicting and it's refreshing. 
I was talking, it's just a small example, but I was talking to a friend in Vermilion, Dwight is his name, and he was gonna visit a missionary in Colombia. And he was flying through Toronto, and he said, I have to wait 12 hours there. I said, oh, man, I was kind of complaining for him how long it was to be stuck in Toronto. And he said, oh, well, we'll just pray that we can witness to someone in those 12 hours. You know, I thought, yeah, that's a good, good reminder not to complain against providence and to be thankful in even those little things that come our way. In verse 7, he tells us that if we apply these things, those that we have just read, he said, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So this was not a wish or a hope, but a promise. Peace spoken here. It's not, of course, the initial peace that we have through the work of Christ, that conversions that we have, the Lord applies to us, that we have a legal standing with God, that we are at peace with God. We're clothed in his righteousness. And um, so we have peace and there's no condemnation in us. But there are seasons when we don't feel that nearness. It is kind of distant. Maybe different reasons. Maybe the neglect of prayer or his word or fellowship with God or, or uh, the church. Maybe sin that keeps us from that nearness. Sometimes the Lord to test us. He seemingly withdraws a little bit so that we can seek him further. Christians always have peace with God, but we don't always are sensible of it. Paul writes as a promise that if your life are marked by the moderation, the rejoicing in the Lord, by prayer, by thanksgiving, we'll have that peace. That all comes through the Lord Jesus. Everything, every blessing, all those things come through the Lord Jesus Christ, comes through the Son. <clears throat> so once we do that, we have that peace from God. And it's supernaturally, isn't it? It's not normal, as the Apostle Paul wrote about when he was beaten in jail to be singing praise. And that's not normal. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But even in great difficulties, as he himself had experienced, will be that peace will be ours. He speaks about our hearts and our minds. It keeps us from giving into temptations and our minds from bad thoughts, particularly bad thoughts about God, distrusting thoughts about God. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Paul says, You do these things in the above verses and they shall be a real guard, a garrison, for your heart and your mind. You can fortify your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus this way. The heart, of course, is the, 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 the motor of all our passions and our affections. The mind is seed of our understanding and of our judgment. Constantly need to be strengthened and informed by the word of God and by applying it. This Infinite strong protection and comfort can be enjoyed by the believer only as he acts upon what is written before here. And this will give him calm, a peace of mind, resting in that blessed will of God. <clears throat> 
This gave peace to those that were burned at the stake throughout the history of the church, cast in jails, even this very moment. You read some of those newsletters from the Voices of the Martyrs where people in containers, in shipping containers, in Eritrea, there's no jails. They are locked up in shipping containers. They have the word of God, and they still have peace. doesn't mean they're stoic about their circumstances, but ultimately they have peace with God. In verse 8, he focuses further on the heart and the mind and what we can do for that constant peace, that fruitfulness, and how we can be image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What guards our hearts? For out of it flows the issues of life. Verse 8, I'll repeat it. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He tells us to think about these things in order that we may put them into practice. The idea is that what you think about, you will do. You'll practice. Where your treasure is, there will your heart always be. He starts out with truth. Whatever lines up with the truth revealed to us in the word of God, his law, the gospel of Christ, and all the precious promises and doctrines of the word of God. Correct thinking starts with his word. It is our only standard and our guide for truth. If we look for it elsewhere, we're certainly doomed. For by it, we are brought to life as the Holy, as the Holy Spirit applies it to our heart. How we need to live in this coming year, once again, to live in the, the word of God, to, to meditate it on it, as David wrote, day and night. To ponder it, to pray over it, to use your God-given faculties, and to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. We, when we meditate on the truths of the word of God, lies are quenched and have no chance to flourish. Sins will be quickly cut and removed at the first sign of it. It will be recognized when we are familiar with the truth. He goes on and says, <clears throat> to think of those things that are honest and just in the sight of the world that we live in, to deal honest and just with our neighbors, our enemies, family, the church at large and at home, that we may shine as lights in this dark world. When, by the renewing of our minds, we ponder these things that are honest and just, our actions will follow from it. Whatsoever things are pure and lovely, pure could be translated chaste, in our words, what comes out of our mouth, in our actions, that come out of our, our lives, that we will be pure and not unholy and evil. Think of the loveliness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in yourselves and others, and how pleasing they are to God, and how it makes us distinct from the world around us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When impure and unlovely thoughts enter into our hearts, we must mortify it the moment it comes in to kill those inward desires. Paul writes what? 
<clears throat> know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Think of the price that we are bought with. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Apostle Peter reminds us, be holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation meaning life, your walk. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And he speaks about a good report. And Matthew Henry writes about this. Whatsoever is in a tendency to maintain a good name. Not to get vain glory or applause from men, but that which may be for the honor of Christ and the reputation of the gospel among the Gentiles and in the world. First Peter 2.12, having your conversation honest, honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Of a good report, not in lies or empty story or gossips, but reports that will edify your hearts and minds and those around you. And he goes on, if there be any virtuous and praiseworthy in all these things, he said, to ponder those things, to meditate on them, those, bring them into practice to the praise and the glory of God. <clears throat> in this verse, the apostle asks us and implores us to think rightly, to ponder these things. Beware and train yourself in what you think about. Beware of frivolous thinking, thinking that leads away from God, distrust in him and his word, thoughts that are after his heart and his mind. How easy it is to do the opposite. That comes natural to us, isn't it? How hard it is to think godly thoughts. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, he says, Casting down imaginations and everything that had exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It means we take control of our thoughts, not that our, that our thoughts take control of us, and they just wander wherever they go. And we do this by seeking his word and asking for his spirit. The flesh does not do that on its own. We need him. So again, take inventory this morning as you think about these things and as you ponder these things. Seek the Lord's help in this area of your life, and he, he will help. When we ask for a greater measure of his spirit, he will give that to us. Lastly, and very briefly, in verse 9, he encourages them with a word of certainty and of assurance and of promise once again. He said, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Matthew Henry writes a nice summary. He says, observe Paul's doctrine and life was one piece. What he believed and what he did was one piece. What they saw in him was the same thing <clears throat> what they heard from him. 
he could propose himself as well as his doctrine to their imitation. It gives a great force to what we say to others when we can appeal to what they have seen in us. It's true, isn't it? We can say all kinds of stuff to people, but if it's not seen in us, it's kind of empty. And this is the way to have peace with God within us, to keep close to our duty to him. The Lord is with us while we are with him. So throughout the life of Paul, he had practiced what he preached. The divine life in his soul was for all to see, and nothing could dampen it or dampen its brightness. And he calls us to imitate him and to follow after that greater light, of course, the light of the world that had ignited this former enemy of God. These words we have looked at this morning is a recipe, as it were, God's recipe for peace of mind and heart, whatever the troubles may be in our lives or what this year may bring, and that we may live our life to the honor and glory of Christ. And this was the personal experience of the Apostle Paul, who called himself, by the way, one of the least of all saints, and it can be ours as well. May the Lord apply these words to our heart this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a treasure we have in your word. Father, I think of the words in Ecclesiastics that uh, we're not consumed, Lord, as we should be, but your mercy is anew every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, if we look back on our past year and we are somewhat discouraged uh, where we have failed greatly, Father, we thank you for the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to give us a clean slate, to again appeal to his blood, Lord, and to remind ourselves all that we have in the gospel. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be walking accordingly to your word, to be thankful, Father, to pray often, and Lord, to rejoice in the Lord himself. We ask these things in the great name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.